game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Played list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors: Chris Allen and A- A- Adam Wildy. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Chris Allen, and this is episode 17 of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. And we're here today with a very special guest. It's kind of a last-minute thing, and we're very happy that he was able to take a, uh, take some time with us tonight. It's George Kritikos of DLF. And, uh, George, how are you doing tonight, man? Doing fantastic, and I appreciate you guys uh, accommodating me and, and allowing me to be on the podcast. I'm excited. Oh, most definitely. And uh, just for a quick aside, and I didn't get a chance to tell you about this beforehand, but I believe it was, uh, I want to say the minute after I heard your episode of the Backyard Banner podcast, uh, like literally, I think well over a year ago now, I think that was the moment I started following you. So it is a definitely a fanboy moment for me to, <laughs> to have you on our show this evening. So so thanks again for, for taking the time in order to do this with us. And we're excited to get into auction auction drafts with you tonight, and I know we're going to get into that uh, as soon as possible. But, uh, Adam, uh, what else do you have uh, for the folks before we get into it this evening? Oh, man, I'm just so excited for this one. I've been trying to fit the auctions episode in for so long. It's strange. The most questions I get are about auctions, and it sucks to tell people every time that we just don't have an episode on that everyone's so worried about auctions so we finally get to dig into them and man i've been up really strange hours for auctions so uh, let's try to get better at that now see you guys say that and i have not participated in a dynasty auction draft before so this is definitely going to be a learning experience for me so bear with me because like that first part that you just said having to get up at like three o'clock in the morning or to nominate players that, that's not for me like that's that's not for me so I, you guys are going to have to like as you guys are teaching me how to do auction drafts i'm going to have to try and find a way in order to get around that because that's just not going to work for me but we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as as the evening goes on so without further ado let's go ahead and get into it and george i guess i'm going to ask you a fairly i don't know if this is a simple question or not but when it comes to dynasty auction drafts are there any key differences that you can think of between a dynasty auction draft and a redraft auction draft are are they fairly similar in that sense i think the the setup can be fairly similar uh it takes a lot longer because your roster sizes tend to be a lot bigger so you have to commit a little bit more time especially uh not that i'm a big idp player but but those are the those of you who play idp and, and do idp auctions with uh, obviously the offense as well that's going to take a heck of a lot of time but uh i think the general setup tends to be very similar um really the only difference is, is if you start including things like future draft picks or, or Devi cash or, or things like that into the equation it really just depends how complicated you want to get 
But other than that, I mean, the, the general setup tends to be pretty pretty similar. Okay, so that doesn't sound too bad. And I, I participate in quite a few redraft auction leagues, and I know those can take a while. So if we're talking about increased roster sizes and things of that nature, if you start factoring in defensive players like you just mentioned, I'm sure it's going to take some time. So I can totally understand that. But I was doing a little bit of reading before I got in tonight, and at least the two types of auction drafts that I, that I came across was that you were talking about both live auctions and slow auctions like can I give me like a basic definition of what those are and kind of how those work sure so with live auctions I mean obviously the the live part can be a bit deceiving you know you can you don't have to be in the same draft room together in terms of physically together uh you can be online you know everyone knows kind of Yahoo and ESPN and all the different websites that have kind of their their platforms where you can uh draft and let's say just a normal snake draft similar idea with an auction Really, the idea of live is more just uh, people are nominating. The The time between picks is very minimal. Uh, usually, you have maybe, let's say, 10 or 15 seconds, depending on how you set it up, to increase a bid, um, You know, whether whichever team you are, or if you're the team leading that bid to win the player, uh, versus a slow auction is going to be uh, you know longer period of time, maybe 8 hours or 12 or 24 hours. You have to hold the winning bid in order to get that player. So, so it does, like I said, take a lot longer, but also it does give an opportunity to really, you know, do the research, come back to it. Uh, you know, you, you nominate once or twice a day, uh, and then you have that opportunity to really go back and, and kind of assess and reevaluate. So it gives you uh, a little bit of that opportunity, not just to feel like you're rushing quickly and trying to make that split second decision, uh, which especially if, if you're new to auctions in general, but if you're new to dynasty auctions, I think that can be a helpful way to get in without feeling overwhelmed. Sure. And it, it, just off the top of my head, if I'm understanding it correctly, to me, it would seem like with the slow draft or the, the slow auction drafts, there might be a little bit more strategy involved in it if you have to hold the winning bid for a, like a, an extended period of time. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm sure we'll get into that more too. Uh, but, but there definitely is a lot more strategy. Um, and, and particularly there's more strategy when you think about who you're going to nominate next, because with a live draft or a live auction, you're only really nominating one player at a time and the entire room is bidding on that one player. Whereas with a slow auction, you can have 40 different players on the board, all nominated and uh, different kind of paths in terms of how long until they that bid is is accepted and won. So so it definitely plays into a lot of different factors there. Both both obviously have a ton of strategy, just different types. Sure, sure. And do you have a personal preference when it comes to either of the two? Oh, that's a great question. I, I enjoy both, honestly. I, I do a, a redraft league. I know we're talking dynasty. I do a redraft auction league. We do it live in a room every year. Uh, we've been doing it for the last 15 years, and that's a ton of fun because it's friends and uh, you know, obviously everyone makes fun of each other and, and, and has a good time and, uh, you know, all that fun stuff. But, but with the dynasty, I, I think the slow auctions can be a little bit easier, especially because when you think about how many players you're going to have to win over the course of the entire auction, it can actually be a little bit better to have multiple players going at the same time and feel like, uh, you know, you can be constantly engaged, uh, because if you're in a live auction, there's one guy up and you're not interested in them then you feel like you're kind of sitting out for a little bit, whereas you're always kind of going with with the slow auctions. Right, right. And then before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of the auctions themselves, there's a term that I came across like while I was looking into it, and we're talking about proxies. Now, can you tell me about what a proxy is or a non-proxy when it comes to doing slow auctions? Yeah, so let's say you're making a bid. For example, let's say the high bid on the the player right now 
is fifteen dollars. Uh, I decide to bid twenty dollars, but I don't know what that other person put as their their proxy bid, their highest bid that they're willing to take that player for. So maybe they put it as eighteen dollars. So fifteen was just what it took for them to win the player from the last person who held the winning bid. But eighteen is as much as they're willing to spend. So I bid twenty, but I'm going to get it at nineteen because that's the increment that's going to beat him. And then that means that if someone bids 20, I still hold him because, because that's the high bid that I'm willing to, to put into that player. Whereas a non-proxy is going to be whatever dollar amount I submit. If I beat that bid, let's say that $15 is there and I bid 20, I win him for 20, or at least I hold him for 20 at that point. So even if the guy said, Oh, I'm, I'm bidding 15, I'm only going to bid 15, 16 would beat me. I can bid $30 and I get him for $30 because that's the number I'm putting down. Right, right. So I guess when it comes to doing proxies, there can be a little bit of a, I guess, like we just mentioned beforehand with the auctions themselves, there can be some strategy in determining how much you actually want to place a bid on a particular player if there are proxies involved. So totally, I can completely understand how there's games within games, right, And when you, when you make bids like that. Absolutely. And even the the dollar amount that you want to put as your high bid, some people do, you know, factors of five, others try to do that one dollar extra. So they're at 41 instead of 40. You know, there's all these little games that people gotcha. play. Okay. And, uh, and and it can all be fun. You know, people will go back and submit bids four or five times because they're just trying to find what that number is that that person is is holding them at. Yep. I'll never go by even numbers. Always hot numbers. <laughs> and, um, non-proxy is what we're kind of referring to when we're joking about having to wake up at three in the morning because you you're timing those bids which we'll get into a little bit later and you might have to wait a while to make sure that you have some money free but anyways we're talking about spending money right now how do you know how much money you're willing to spend on the player are we looking at like percentages or roster size starting requirements do all those weigh in for you yeah, all of them definitely weigh in for me. I mean, percentages for me is the easiest place to start because regardless of what that that cap of of money that you have, whether it's a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or two fifty or whatever number you want to use, that percentage still applies. Um, so that's always for me the best place to start. But to your point, roster size, uh, starting requirements, the scoring system definitely applies. Uh, as, as you can see, and you guys know, you know, in any league you play, the scoring system can drastically change a player's value and can change a positional value. So all of a sudden, you know, not just tight ends become at a premium, but they become a premium to the point where they may actually influence other positions and what you're willing to spend, not just uh, what you're going to put into them alone. So, so definitely, but the, the big thing is, you know, I try to remain flexible because you just... You can, you can try to prepare, and, and you guys know this, you can prepare for an auction, but all it takes is one owner to swing it in a very different direction. Uh, you know, and I'm sure we all have stories of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when you're talking about uh, percentages, that's the absolute best way, in my opinion, to do it because – that $1,000 can look really scary, and it's really weird bidding $255 on a player, something like that. It's much simpler for me to see 25%. So if I want to bid 25% on Todd Gurley, you can just kind of think about a roster, and depending on roster size, say Todd Gurley's my 103, somebody else's 101, probably worth a fourth of your team. So it makes it a lot easier to just say, I'll go ahead and throw a quarter percent on them. But that leads me into my next question. We don't exactly know what we're getting out of these rookies. So how do you value rookies in a startup auction? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, you, you want to create your your list, whether it's a ranking or a tier system or however you want to do it. And, and including the rookies can be difficult because you want to project them out based on, you know, the most recent season. If you're a one-year window type of player, you can you can kind of be more of a redraft type of uh, owner and, and, and figure them out that way. So Saquon so Barkley is still valuable, but maybe slightly less valuable than someone who's building three- or five-year windows. And, you know, things like, obviously, if it's a contract league as well as an auction, that can play in and, you know, all those types of things. But really, for me, I try to use my general strategy to determine what types of rookies I take. So if I'm someone who, uh, and I tend to be someone who builds a little bit on the younger side, then then all rookies are on the table. But if I'm maybe building more of a win-now team, I might just take shots on the cheaper rookies as my end of the bench and maybe not try to rely on them and, and put so much of my uh, cap or, or auction space towards those players. So I might not buy Barkley if I'm buying Demarius Thomas and LaShawn McCoy and, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is my quarterback and all those things, but I might take the shots later. You know, if Anthony Miller goes a little cheaper, maybe I need to go further down the list. Maybe Chase Edmonds ends up on my team, somebody like that. So yeah, it just really depends on, on where I'm constructing it uh, to which rookies am I maybe targeting. I got you. So now you're in the draft, right? And as we were just alluding to earlier, we've all had at least one owner that's in the league that just goes completely ham, like right off the bat. They're betting 30% of their budget, like first, you know, just against one player. Or if it's a two quarterback league, there's that one guy that overvalues quarterbacks and wants to put 40% down on Aaron Rodgers, something like that. So is that something that you pay attention to almost more so than players or player evaluation or things of that nature? Are you trying to watch how the owners are bidding and how the and how they're nominating players as the draft continues? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely an area that I try to to keep track of and and you know, a couple of things I think about is who are those early aggressive owners, you know, maybe whether whether they're burning through cap and they've spent 50% of their budget within the first 3 days. You know, that's that's a, a very specific behavior. And then, you know, suddenly they're not going to be in on maybe any of these bigger names that are coming out. Or maybe they try one more and then you let them go. And, and now all of a sudden they have 80 percent of their their money gone on four players. Um, you know, but then but then things like who's the guy who came in second or third place in a bid for a player? I mean, that can be a huge thing because they may not have anyone on their team after a week, but it's only because they're just that close to getting you know, a lot of these big names and they're just not willing to pull the trigger. So now you know that they're not necessarily an aggressive owner and, and you can maybe bully them a little bit more uh, if they do get a hold on a player or at the very least, they're going to have to become aggressive. And then the other thing I try to look at with, with owners is are they bidding a lot more on a certain position just to see who, what, what position are they valuing? So are they wide receiver heavy types uh, are they going to zero RB? They're not touching RBs. Uh, you always have that one owner maybe who goes after a couple big tight ends or a couple big quarterbacks if if they feel like they can kind of steal the market a bit and sway the rest of the prices up. Um, so you definitely have to watch all those things. And it's it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, especially because the people who don't win the auction aren't really being tracked. And so you can't use the system software to say, oh, well, who got second place and third place in this bid for Andrew Luck? You kind of have to keep those notes on your own. And that leads perfectly into my next question is that is that is that something that you do or is it do you use something like 
Excel or just scribble stuff in a notebook like the, the great Leo uh, in order to track what everybody's doing in the like in your particular league? I mean, are there tools that you use in order to make sure that you have all the information in front of you? And if so, like what are you paying attention to? Are you paying attention to those second and third place guys or how much money that they're bidding or what positions and, and things of that nature? Yeah, I, I use a lot of Excel, especially because, uh, you know, in my, my professional job, I'm in front of a computer all day, so it makes it a little easier to do that. Uh, you know, at night, I have to track it on my phone while, while my wife and I are spending time together or while spending time together. But I, ultimately, I use Excel. I mean, I, I use one page that really focuses around owner behavior, and then I use a couple of pages that go around uh, kind of what are the team's roster constructions, what are the prices that are being paid, how much money do they have left? Then I have my tiers of players and kind of what I'm willing to pay. Um, and then I, I balance that against kind of what the going rate is for those players and who's left. So if I see a single guy is left in a tier, I make sure to highlight them and say, this is a guy, if I need to get someone really who I think is a wide receiver one or, or a top running back, and I really want to get one on my team, I need to make sure I get this guy and I might have to overpay, but, but at least I know that's the last of that group that I feel confident in. And then I also keep track of just any of the trading that, that takes place. So if I notice someone starts gathering a bunch of money, I try to make sure to, to keep an eye on that because that might be the owner. If I maybe have extra money and I want to get maybe someone off his team that he has regrets about, that might be an opportunity for me as well. Sure. And I think that in and of itself is important. But I know for folks that are just that might just be getting into auction drafts or even the folks that are already into auction drafts and kind of want to learn more is the that key point that you that you kind of alluded to earlier is value. And how do you determine the the cost or not necessarily what the actual cost of a player is going to be because you don't know that until the bidding war is completed. But just what your general feel is for how much a player should be. Like, should Aaron Rodgers cost $35? Should Keenan Allen cost $40? Or whatever the case may be, depending on what this, what your scoring settings are, what your cap is, and things of that nature. So do you have a general process for coming up with, you have your tiers set, and would you just say that all the players in a particular tier should be around this particular dollar amount, or because that they're this much, or they have this much value in a redraft league, I would probably put them in this tier as well, and so they might also have this type of this this dollar amount as well. Is there a process that you use, software, a site, or anything like that that helps you kind of bucketize a lot of those a lot of those players to say that this is how much they should be worth? Yeah, I, I try to do a couple of things. I mean, I definitely prefer the tiers over the rankings because my concern is that if I see number four versus number two and then I see number 10, I always think, oh, well, that's six different versus two different. But that's not really the way it should be looked at, because if I think all 10 are in that same you know, area of, of, of production, then I'm going to put them in a similar place. I try to go in with uh, an idea of how much I want to spend on my best player, you know, I say, yeah, I'm going to allocate 25% or 30% of my budget towards my best player. And, you know, that may not work out. It may not be the case, but, but I try to follow those tiers and see, okay, well, who's coming off. I, I put those prices. So that way, if I need to adjust, if I realize, oh, you know, these scoring rules actually are making people become more aggressive in this, in this area. And I didn't expect that. Then I can go back and say, okay, I wasn't going to get these guys, and I don't know if I'm – am I comfortable with that amount? Am I willing to pay 40% for the best guy? Maybe I'm not, and maybe I say, you know what, I'll take that 40%. I'll break it in half, take a couple Tier 2 guys and feel better. And then the other thing I try to do is if I notice that my team starts to come together and I'm, I'm building some guys, I win a few players, 
and my strategy maybe shifted from what I anticipated just due to values or things like that, which has definitely happened to me before. Uh, I start to move guys around in tiers and I say, you know what? I've, I've won a couple of young guys and I've won some real big gambles. So maybe Demarius Thomas is coming down a tier or two and he's just maybe not a priority. Whereas, you know, someone else, maybe Kennedy Galladay comes up a tier uh, and, and, and I'm willing to maybe spend a little bit more because they fall in line with, with how I'm constructing my total roster. And I like that you say you utilize tiers because I almost feel like I want to say that's the only option. And, and here's why it provides such a large advantage. Let's say that your tier starts with Kareem Hunt and ends with Christian McCaffrey. You can set a, a limit on what you want to spend on a tier two or tier three running back, depending on how you label that tier. So you can bid every running back between Kareem Hunt to Christian McCaffrey up to say $40. Just keep going up to $40. Keep going up to $40. You're probably going to land one of those guys as long as $40 is a reasonable amount for that range. If you were to rank them, then you would be thinking, well, I value Kareem Hunt way more than Christian McCaffrey. So you're more likely to spend more. But when you start taking away names from these players and just start attaching values or, like you said, tiers, it's much easier to kind of win values in that tier. Like, you know, you're going to get someone between Kareem Hunt, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey for around that $40 range. So I would definitely recommend using that sentiment, the, the tiers for sure. Yeah, and the one and the one thing that adds for me that using tiers. So let's say we go we go to those running backs, and and let's say it's you know Hunt and Cook and Mixon and and you know kind of that whole the the whole cluster of those young running backs. If I notice that that a couple of them are either going for a lot more than I anticipated, or maybe I just wasn't aggressive enough, and and they're off the board, and I realize there's only one guy left in my tier. I know I have to overpay to get that guy if I am adamant that I need someone out of that tier of running backs. And so, so then it tells me, okay, well, now I have to adjust the rest of my budget a little bit to account for that because I wasn't aggressive enough. I need to find a value somewhere else. Maybe there's a tier of wide receivers where no one's really gone yet. So maybe I can get one through for a few bucks left and kind of make up the difference. Exactly. You talked a little bit about trying to get a strategy going into it, but you're going to have to dump your strategy pretty quick in most cases. And that's the case right there. I love to fade the trends in auctions because that's just the easiest way to find value. So once Leonard Fournette goes, then people are going to want to bid on Hunt, then they're going to bid on Cook, and then you're going to find that your tier has evaporated, and then your strategy of paying $40 for one of those guys is gone. So you, in turn, can kind of fade that tier and go grab Devontae Adams, who might be the first wide receiver in that tier for you, or or Keenan Allen for way cheaper. So that brings me to the point of acquiring players. Say we acquired one of those players. After you've acquired a player at a certain specific price, does that mean you aren't willing to spend more for a player that's around the ranking? So we'll say Keenan cost you 55 and you have him tied with Devontae Adams maybe. Are you willing to pay 62 for Devontae Adams or is 55 kind of your cap at that point? See, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question, and and I think I try to go back to okay, well, well, did I get Keenan in, in in my eyes for a value? Meaning, did did I anticipate spending sixty five or even sixty on Keenan, but I got him for fifty five? If that's the case, then of course I'm willing to to, to jump up at least to that sixty or sixty five dollar for a Devonte Adams. 
uh, depending on what my my break is. And then if I'm really adamant on getting Adams, if I say, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to lock in two young receivers and it's really going to fortify my starting wide receiver spots. Let's say I, I had a, a break of 60. I saved $5 by getting Keenan. So spending two more on Devontae Adams is going to still net me $3 and I'm going to feel pretty good about that. So, you know, I always look at it anytime you get a value gives you kind of a free pass to over pay on somebody else that you really want. Uh, so I try to, I try to balance that out. Um, and if I feel like, again, you know, going back to that tier thing, if he's the last one in that tier, I'm willing to spend a little bit more to get him if, if I feel like that's going to make my team. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take a quick break from our discussion with George in order to talk about our sponsor for today. We've been picked up by the Great 444 website, and you now have the opportunity to get 25% off of your subscription to 444 when you sign up. Use the promo code DYNASTYOM to receive 25% off. That's Dynasty, D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y-O-M, in the promo code area in order to get 25% off. And you guys already know about the website. They have the most accurate rankings since 2012 to provide actionable content. Subscribers can look forward to custom rankings, cheat sheets, top 200 based on their league settings, and 444 also has a draft analyzer that will help you through the draft season along with a league syncing app to import your roster. And also, if you're into DFS, 444 also offers a special plan with a lineup generator that includes data-driven content, so be sure to use our promo code and get an edge on all of your league mates. And now, back to our discussion with Rotohack. Gotcha. And but let's say that you're on the wrong end of having to overpay for somebody. Let's say that, and I've done this actually. I've done this before, and I'm not sure if you guys have done this as well. But I've gotten into bidding wars with folks with just trying to drive the price up. I'm I'm that guy that if I see that a player is going for a little bit lower, and I I might know that that the that particular owner wants that player. I'll keep kicking up the price to see if I can get him to spend a little bit more. It's backfired on me a couple of times to the point where I wound up overpaying for a couple of players that I know I didn't want. Uh, so if that does happen and you find yourself that you've wildly outspent whatever you particularly had or what you felt you were comfortable with paying for a player, what's your typical response? I mean, are, are you just completely done after that? I mean, do you have to fall back on... A, you know, a number of scrubs afterwards in order to fill out the rest of your roster? Or is there a way that you can kind of make up for it after you've done that? Yeah, two things I try to do. One, in terms of my response within the auction from a nomination perspective, I try to nominate other guys in that tier right away. Because then I try to see kind of similar to that question on Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams, but in reverse. You know, if someone paid 62 for for Adams, can I get someone to pay 62 or more for Keenan Allen, basically, to see if I can get a little more money out of the pool, if I can get other people out of the business of, of you know, buying these guys. So then that way, when it comes further down the line, then maybe I have the opportunity to outbid them on somebody else and, and help make up for that a little bit. Um, but in terms of how I react as a, as a bidder, I try not to become too tentative after that, because I think that can be a big mistake and you miss out on players uh, that are valuable to the strategy that you're trying or the team you're trying to create. So, so I mean, you naturally have to adjust. You have to adjust your your budget a little bit. You have to say, okay, well, am I going to take away from maybe what I was going to spend on a tight end and, and, and pare that down a bit or a quarterback or whatever that might be. But I don't try to, to veer too far away because I try to remember that, you know what, if I did overpay for a player, that meant at least one other person was interested in him. And there's always an opportunity to trade them later. There's always an opportunity to uh, just see what the market's like. 
I mean, I've, I've had instances and, and, and myself and, and other owners I've seen who have actually traded that player to the guy who got second place in exchange for, for money because they looked at it as this was the last guy on my tier, even if I don't agree with that. So it, it's always worth kind of seeing what's out there. And, and another thing is, you know, I've seen people who've overpaid and, and then I'm on the other end where they say, you know, I know you got second place and would you be willing? And, and, you know, sometimes I'm willing to take them for, you know, 95 cents on the dollar basically. And uh, they still lose a few dollars out of it. So they still kind of overpaid, but they can adjust in their own way. And so yeah, you really just have to, to kind of play the other owners and, and, and see kind of what their reactions are. And it can help you really, you know, you're being proactive by being reactive, if that makes sense. <laughs> So two points that you brought up that I really liked is first bringing up a question before the draft, and you can check if your league settings mention this, or you can just ask the commissioner if you need a full roster before you leave the auction. Because I was thinking a lot about this question today. What do you do if you do overpay? Because you can accidentally overpay a lot. You just get, you, you really like the player and it's, it's just one more dollar. It's just one more dollar and it continues to be just one more dollar until you finally won it and your ten dollars over budget. So what you can do if you don't need a full roster after you've spent too much on one player is just find values. And if that means you have fifteen wide receivers on your team, well you draft fit or you auction fifteen wide receivers and then after the auction you start, you know, moving and shaking. So you don't necessarily need to look at positions at that point. If you find yourself in that situation, you just start value shopping. Maybe Gronk uh, was in the middle of his maybe retirement news and you got him for $15 and Kelsey went for 45 something like that. Well, you took Gronk as an asset, not as Gronk. So you can move him after things cleared up a little. That would be a good move to make. And then you also mentioned the chat. The chat is super important because a lot of people have the tendency to comment on their own pick whether it be justifying it or or maybe regretting it quickly, maybe quickly buyer, buyer's remorse. I would just jot that down or like you said, you had an Excel sheet because when you get later in the auction and perhaps you filled out a nice roster, you have a bunch of extra money that you don't really want to spend on some of the guys that are left. You could end up going and buying, say, Devonta Adams that they mentioned earlier, they paid too much on. So, you know, you go to the Devonta Adams owner and said, hey, I, I noticed earlier you thought you overpaid on Adams and you're trying to get in on some of these cheap guys, Demarius Thomas, LaShawn McCoy, things like that. I'll give you $20 less than they paid, and they just want to get money back for it because now there's players on the board that are cheaper than they thought. So there's another strategy as well. But we're going to take a quick break away from auctions, and we're going to do our FF statistics trivia. So, George, I'm going to tell you who I am as an NFL player. A little bit about myself, and then you're going to go ahead and try to guess who I am. You guys ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's. I finally got got last week, so let's see if I can redeem myself. With 19 points in week 11, I was actually an above-average QB1 on a down week for quarterback as I filled in for the starting quarterback, and I have a beard. Fitz? That's what I was thinking, too. I was going to ask if you wanted a hint because I was going to tell you he's super smart. (laughs) That that one could have been easier or it could have been harder if I skipped the beard part. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, George. So I want to get back to nominating a players a little because you touched on it. And this is one of the most crucial aspects because there's ways to find advantages outside of just winning players you have to manipulate the auction as well. And we kind of touched on 
manipulating the auction in the wrong direction by people spending way too much on players. So do you have a preferred strategy when you're nominating players? Or you, you mentioned getting money off the board. Could you touch a little bit more on what that means to you? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple ways, especially early in the auction, I try to do it. One is uh, if I notice that there are, and, and usually I tend to know the other owners in the league, so so I want to be clear on that. If I know that there is an owner who's a big fan of a team or multiple owners who are big fans of a team, especially if you're doing a home league, uh, you know, I tend to go right off the board with with whoever the best player is off that team, you know, and just just see if there's an overpay there. Um, but generally, I mean, if 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 I'm trying to win players, you know, if I, if there are guys that I want right away, which is perfectly fine, you don't have to throw guys in that that you don't want. I try to avoid the biggest guys, and I try to go to maybe my you know second or third level type guys. And you know, people aren't always as excited to grab those guys super early. Uh, and, and, and spend the money because they're afraid that then they won't have the money to compete for some of the bigger names. So maybe I, you know, I skip on the, you know, Kareem Hans and, and all those types of guys. And I go a little bit further down the list, um, to a shady McCoy or, uh, you know, someone who's just, it doesn't have that sex appeal the way that maybe some of the, the young running backs do. And I just kind of get away from that. I go Duke Johnson and I say, you know what, let me see if I can sneak him through because someone just might not want to pay ten or fifteen dollars for Duke Johnson when they see Le'Veon Bell, uh, Odell Beckham, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Rodgers all sitting on the board too. Because especially in those slow auctions where everyone's nominating at least one player, it means that some people are going to be putting the biggest guys on the board. Other guys are probably going to try to sneak some guys through, uh, and and everyone's just going to be kind of locked on what they want to do right off the bat. So that's the best time to do it if you can. Yeah, sneaking guys through is the best way to put it for sure. And you might even go utilize those tiers and go ahead and nominate CMC first. And people are going to say, well, I don't need to spend that much on Christian McCaffrey because Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, they're all still there. I'll just bid on one of those guys. I don't like CMC as much anyways. So then you get CMC for 40 and then, you know, those guys matching him in the tier end up going for 60, something like that. Another example I'd like to touch on real quick before we get out this question is uh this bodes a little bit better to live auctions but i've done this a couple times this offseason so we talked about valuing rookies a little bit earlier and it is really tough to value rookies especially early in the auction because you don't know how your team shook out so dynasty owners are used to adding rookies to rosters so you know if you can take on an anthony miller or you know if you can take on a michael gallup but when you're doing a startup and you have no team yet, it's really tough to spend money on that because you don't know if you can afford that luxury. So what I like to do is just with my first or second nomination, nominate a rookie that I that I like, but I'm not nominating Saquon or, or Darius Geis. So I've nominated DJ Moore twice. Um, I ended up getting DJ Moore for $15 in a live auction. But for reference, uh, Gallup ended up costing $28 later. So people kind of got to feel out the market and see this player is going for this much. This player is going for this much. I have this much money to spend on this luxury pick in my roster. So that's another way you can kind of sneak some players out. If you've got a rookie that you really like, chances are if you nominate him early, people are a little more weary to spend on him. Yeah, and another thing I like to do with with you know my initial nominations is maybe pick guys who I see increasing, uh, you know, in production and value, and and pick those guys. Maybe someone like Will Fuller, who you know has a little bit of hype around him, but isn't necessarily considered a, a number one or maybe even a number two receiver. 
but he's the type of guy where I could see getting a thousand yards in a season with, with eight or nine touchdowns, uh, you know, and, and, and be able to try to push that guy through, uh, you know, fairly early. Uh, but I also think that, you know, the, the other thing, especially early on, is because prices aren't established, that's your time to go after a stud, too, because that might be the time where people are filling out the market still, people are gun shy. Uh, I'm not saying you got to overpay. Definitely don't do that. But but I think that's the time if you're going to push someone to the limit, there's going to be someone on that board in day one and day two that you like, that you really like, that you really, really like, whether it's Odell Beckham or it's Saquon Barkley or Todd Gurley, whoever it is. If you're happy to have that guy on your team, but you don't need him on your team, which is always the case when you don't have a roster yet, then then push it to the limit and just see if someone's willing to, to overpay even $2. Because at that point, it's okay because there's still guys left on your tier. And this is why I always preach seeing players as assets and not players. And that is really such a hard concept. It's, it's like trying to disassociate food with taste because you love watching these guys on Sunday and you love watching them score touchdowns. You have your favorite players and your least favorite players. But if you can go ahead and associate values in the same startup auction, I was able to get Wentz and Russ for significantly less than any of the other first round players. I mean, they ended up costing me around the same amount as some of the third round players like Devonta Freeman. And this is super flex. So I just took them both and then ended up trading Russ for a pretty significant amount. So I saw him as an asset and not as a player. And that goes perfectly with your point. I mean, you, you go ahead and grab values and you can just sell them later. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. So, and I, I know you guys have touched upon it. Uh, both of you guys have touched upon it throughout the conversation this evening, but Again, if you're new to auction drafts, the auction draft style, I mean, most of us, when we approach either just regular uh, dynasty drafts or even redrafts, the most the most common tool that we have is, is not necessarily ADP, but the tiers, rankings, things of that nature. So if I were to take those same tools, tiers, if I had like just a list of ADP, I know that DLF, they supply like dynasty ADP, things of that nature... So if I were to take those same tools, those same sheets and whatnot into a an auction draft league, how can I apply the same, I guess, th- those same things in, into into that league? Yeah, I mean, the, the number one thing I, I try to tell people when they're going into their first auction is the difference between this and a, and a serpentine-style draft is that everyone is available for you. So you can get the players you want. That's ultimately what that comes down to. And so that's where a tier can be so valuable versus a ranking because in a ranking that's more useful in a serpentine draft where you're going around and you know you're you're hitting you know pick 12 and you know you have the opportunity to get the next guy off the board that's basically how it feels there obviously there's tiers and and as you get deeper in then you're filling your your positions but with uh with an auction i mean you're really trying to build a team with money and you're, and you're trying to, but you can build it in a number of ways, which is why the tiers become much more important because you can pick three running backs off the first tier. If you want to, that's absolutely fine. If you feel like those are where the values are, but at least that way, you know, as you're going for those other positions and how much money you have left, you know, which tiers are probably going to be available to you. So um, that's why the, the, the idea of the predetermined rankings doesn't work quite as well. Um, but as far as, you know, things like like best player available and and all that i think you know that's that's where if you see a discounted position especially as you're building reserves uh you know best player available is the way to go because to 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 your guys point i mean you're 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 building 
you're building value here ultimately, especially with your reserves and, and, you know, the, the guys that you're going to get, uh, and, and best player available, you know, is a bit of a misnomer because, uh, you know, the best player in terms of, of who's the best player isn't necessarily the same as who's the best player for you to take right. because, you know, certain guys increase in value and others don't, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is probably going to be the best player available at a certain point, but he might not be the best player for your team. Uh, so you have to look at it as, okay, well, my bench has to be built in a way that allows me to one, stay within my budget, but two, exceed the expectations of bench. I want to get $80 of value. I don't want to get $40 of value. So I need to pick upside off my bench. So you're constantly adjusting, especially when it comes to implementing a BPA strategy. BPA, I guess, changes as the draft goes on. Is that, is that, is that a correct way of looking at it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it does. And, and I think the, the, even the, the context of what a best player available is for your specific team changes very much. So Larry Fitzgerald, to, to that, that earlier example, might be the best player for your team because you are wide receiver starved and the only guys you have don't have very consistent production, but you're a, you're built as a balanced, you know, win now, but also win later type of team. So he has good value for you, but my BPA, if I'm building super young, Larry Fitzgerald doesn't have a ton of value for me. So I can't really consider him that best player available. And this is the perfect time to mention that the, the overlying theme for auctions, and it took me a long time to learn this is patience. If you can just be patient um, you're going to find values. But the reason I bring that up is because what auctions allow you to do that snakes don't allow you to do is just make an absolutely monster team. Because if you think about a snake draft, you're still only able to take a player from this tier, a player from this tier. And this is where tiers matter in snake drafts because you can target tiers and you find drop-offs and things like that. So that's how you find your advantages in snakes. Well, in auctions, it's not the case. If you find a value on Devontae Adams and you find a value on Keenan and then you find a value on Julio, you just got a monster receiver core and you may have ended up spending just as much as somebody else spent on Nook Hopkins. So in auctions, if you play your cards right and you disassociate your favorite players with their values, um, spend your money right, you can actually build an absolute monster to win for the next three to four years. Whereas a snake, you could do that also, but that plays a lot into draft position. That plays a lot into what tiers fell to you, things of that nature. So a lot less uh, strategy goes into a snake draft, which is kind of tough to say because so much strategy goes into it, but it's just, it's really auctions are just totally different animal. But when you, when you can get it down pat, you can really, really maximize your value so this can bring us kind of into us waking up at 3 a.m and how to avoid that a little bit so it's it's how much money are you willing to bid at once and so when we refer to the waking up at 3 a.m which hopefully us combined could kind of explain this but so you have a player on the board that you're waiting to expire and you also have a player underneath it that's going to expire say three hours later well you're either winning your player or not winning your player at three in the morning. The next player that you want right underneath it is going to expire at five in the morning. You can't bid on player B until after you've won player A. So that means you're waking up at three in the morning to make sure that nobody woke up at 259 to bid up your player. After you make sure you won your player at three in the morning, then you have the money left over to bid up the next player or you don't have the money next over. You still have to wake up to check because if somebody bid up your player, then 
you still want to knock that second player down, actually, especially so if somebody bit up your player. So then you want to wake up and, well, somebody bit up Keenan, but let me make sure that I bit up Devonta Adams before five in the morning or I'm going to miss on both of them. So that's that's how you, that's what we're talking about when we say free money here. So how much money are you willing to bid at one time? I mean, if there's 12 nominations, are you willing to bid on all 12? I try not to, I mean, you know, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but, but I try not to, to be the one who's trying to push people to their limits on, on prices because I'm probably not going to want all 12 of those players. Chances are, you know, I might want three of those players. Um, So I'm definitely willing to, to bid a significant amount of my space at one time. uh, And, and, and I would only do that because I tend to be the type who only bids on the players I want. Um, Or at least I would be happy to have on my team, I should say, because I'm, find letting any player go as well you have to have that mentality of you know here's the list of guys i want on my team but if i don't get all of them that's okay because there's plenty of others that that i feel are comparable uh value or better um so so yeah i'm willing to willing to 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 put a majority of my money in at a given time that doesn't bother me but i always try to leave a buffer um for two things one for overpaying so if if i do put it to my max and let's say you know i have the guy at the time but then i wake up you know in the morning and i didn't have to wake up at three let's say i wake up at a normal time like normal people uh but i see that my bid has been uh countered and 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 is increased and so i no longer have that player i want to make sure i have some kind of buffer to come back if i feel like that's the player i want to overpay on to get it you don't want to commit yourself so so much that you know, a dollar or two is going to be the difference between you getting and not getting that player. I mean, you have to have something there. Um, otherwise, you're, you're going to regret it later because then that guy that you could have had is on another team, and, and now you have to settle for who's left. And and, and you might have lost on, on a tier or on a, on a you know significant amount of value because of where you might have been in the draft at that given time. So that's why I tend to be a very precise drafter in terms of the people I bid on are ones that I – have no problem having on my team. So when you have that much money out on the table, I guess, you know, so to say, as you're bidding on number of players, is, is that when you get into something, uh, price enforcing, is that what that's about? Or can, could you explain that to me? Because I've seen that mentioned in a couple of different uh, articles I've read about auction leagues. So is that does that touch upon that? Yeah, I mean, the idea with, with price enforcing, and, and I don't want to generalize it, but but I mean, essentially, it's it's an art uh, you know, in a sense of you're, you're challenging another owner to a player and, and, and to make sure that they're paying full value for that player, what you perceive to be full value. The problem is, is that if you do that with a player that you don't necessarily have a, a, a positive opinion about and they value that person less than you do, then that's where things like the overpays and, you know, and, and you also lose your roster spot and you also, you know, you, you lost that money. And so, I'm not the type who tends to do that. I don't think, uh, you know, someone else getting a value doesn't necessarily impact me to the point where my team can't compete. That's that's, that's the way I try to look at it. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, if I saw Odell Beckham was going for $2, of course I'm going to make sure that, that you know, it goes to a fair value because I'd be happy to have him on my team. But if I'm not a Emmanuel Sanders fan, uh, I'm not going to try to push him to $20 because that's what I think he should go for and then I end up with him for $20 because no one else sees him worth more than 15 So it sounds uh, like there's a fair level of subjectivity that goes into it. Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, unlike, unlike let's say, uh, a serpentine draft where uh, I'm in the fifth round 
you know, I could be that guy who says, oh, you know, I'm going to take another quarterback because, you know, this is this is this guy's dropping, but I already have a quarterback on my team. I mean, how much is that really helping me? And it's the same idea here is, you know, how much is trying to bleed an extra few dollars out of someone going to help me in the long run if it means getting a player who's not necessarily going to improve my roster? Yeah. So when you're price enforcing, it's basically unless you've got it down to an art form, which I do know people that do, but a lot of times people are taking it personal. They take the value personal. So you see that value. And I totally did this when I first started. You see that value and you're like, no way you're getting them for that. You know, no way you're getting Devonta Adams for $52 when I just spent 64 on Keenan. I'm not letting that happen. Okay, well, now you got two wide receivers in that tier, but you're not going to have any money for the other wide receivers. So you got God. Price enforcing, it's definitely an art form, and it's also something that you might want to do when you're trying to avoid someone spending $15 on a player you know is 45 But if you're trying to get those extra dollars out, like George alluded to, it's not worth it. Just let that player go. Keep your roster spots, especially when it's a player that you're not as high on. A big problem that I had was I wasn't as high on players, but I knew everyone else was as high on players. So I would continue to bid them up because i'm thinking i know somebody else is going to pay more for that well then not only am i losing a roster spot but i'm losing a roster spot to a player i wasn't willing to have so any player that you're going to bid it has to be someone that you're willing to have if you want to price enforce at least do it on someone you're willing to have so we talked a little bit about you know having to wake up at different times things like that but another big thing is how to actually finish the auction. So I'm throwing you a bit of a curveball right here because I wanted to add when you're getting down to those last 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and there's five players in a row about to expire. Is there anything that you do to try to make sure that you get that player? Um, I mean, you know, I, I definitely make sure, especially if it's a proxy bid, to put my max value in there. And I might even go a dollar or two over just to make sure that 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 I have a good chance to get that player. So if I know that, Let's say I put forty dollars as my max value, and I have them at thirty nine. Um, I might bump it to forty one or forty two. Uh, you know, so then if that person is that price enforcer, I'm okay with it. I'm willing to spend that extra dollar or two on the player I really want if that's someone I, I, I you know, see as being a cornerstone to to my strategy and and my team. Other than that, one thing I'll do sometimes, especially if I know you know, who I won that, that player from. So if we had been going back and forth and, and let's say they had them at 34 and I got them at 36 and, you know, 37, now it's 39. And I see that they have other money locked up in other players. Like maybe they moved off of this guy and moved on to someone else of the position. I make sure not to touch any of his bids because I don't want to free up any of his money to come back over the top, whether it's because I outbid him because he ran out of money or he decided to move on. Either way, I don't want him to have a reason to come back to it again if I can help it. So I try to be a little less active during that time, uh, barring you know something I can do to convince them out of it. But there's not really too much other than just kind of hoping that their you know what their strategy shift has been is beneficial to me. I'm so glad you added that before we got out of here because that's massive the timing of the bid is so important as we already talked to but here's another example of when the timing matters so much if you're about to win a player and you're at the top or even you're three players down from winning your player but the three players above you you don't care to win whatsoever do not be active at that time unless you're doing what i'm about to refer to but that is not the time to bid on anybody's players that's not the time to 
you know, set your bids. As soon as you win, you know, Julio, you're, you've got the high bid on Julio and there's three players above you that you don't want. And then, you know, a whole list of players underneath them. Don't go bargain hunting on those players underneath because you just freed up somebody's money and they're going to see that person at the top. Not only are they seeing that Julio's at the top going for a value that they now have money for, but you are also the people that kick person that kicked them off their bid. So more, more often than not, they're coming at you with the cash that you just freed up to kick your player back down, especially just to add $1 to piss you off. But there's two things that you can do before I kick it to Chris to get us out of here. It's, for non-proxy, you can just add dollars as you go. So non-proxy, again, is where you can only put that said dollar value in. There's no um, max value. If it's at 36, you have to bid 37 to win it. So you can add a dollar or two here and there depending on how much money you have. And that could be sort of your way of telling owners, I'm winning this player no matter what. That's not how you should actually think about it. There has to be a cap. But at least if I'm checking in every once in a while and say I've got Royce Freeman down for $35, but I would have paid 50 for him and I'm about to win him, I might go add $2 here, another dollar there, just so owners think that other people are bidding up him up or they just think he he's going to win him no matter what. Why would I bid on that? And then if it's proxy, you might have gone in and put five players in and put your bids in on five players. Well, you can check in, you know, 11 hours later on a 12 hour clock and see, wow, I'm about to win this player. I might be a little more willing to spend on that player now that I'm about to win them because I just, you know, threw a bid out there on five players and now I've got Julio at the top of the list about to win for $35 and I would have spent 60 for him or something crazy like that because you timed it well. So you might want to put your proxy up to maybe 50 or 55 and just make sure you lock in that wide receiver position. So, yeah, that's all I've got. This has been so much knowledge on auctions, and I'm actually really excited because we're starting Pigs 4 next week, so I'm ready to auction. Yeah, one one thing, if you don't mind me, me jumping in, and Absolutely. one more thing is uh, one thing I do a lot of is, is I don't know, a good way to phrase it, but, but kind of time manipulation around I, I'm very strategic on when I bid up a player. Like, for example, if I know that, that you know, Chris is, is holding on to uh, Le'Veon Bell, uh, but I know that Chris is not a, a late night person and he's, you know, I, I'll bid it at, at two in the morning because I know when it comes to that last 30 minutes, he's not going to probably come back to it, even if nope. his money frees up Mm-mm. and maybe someone else works the third shift. So I know they're awake during that time. So I'll bid theirs up at 10 a.m. And, you know, that way they're already asleep by the time uh, their bids go. So I try to keep in mind, you know, what time of the day are they going to be least likely on you know online and and able to kind of counteract especially in those last hour two hours because that can be when that money frees up and that can be when they try to revert back to whoever it was that they like so so i'm very cognizant of that as much as i can be so uh you know anytime i can do that i try to do that excellent and i think tonight has i think perfectly encapsulated a lot of the i guess the introduction to uh, dynasty auction drafts and i appreciate you george for again for taking the time to come sit down with us tonight i think we've kind of hit it all haven't we guys i mean we went through uh, different types of auction drafts i mean we're talking about live and slow we're talking about the different uh you know mechanics that go into the drafts themselves talking about proxies which uh doesn't sound like fun uh at least not for me but also then how you determine value. And I think regardless of the type of, of the type of league that you're in, 
that's the thing that we always hunt for, right? I mean, if it's a auction, whether it's redraft, whether it's dynasty, it, it doesn't matter. Value seems to be the, the common theme across all of them. So if you can find a way in order to identify value, whether like as George mentioned earlier, trying to find out how much you how much you truly value any particular player, and I think that's a that's a perfect way to try and understand like how much you're actually willing to pay for that particular player as it you know, as it compares to your budget, and so things of that nature I think will definitely help you out like when it comes to when it comes to working through these types of leagues. So, George, before we get get you out of here tonight, uh, were there any other I guess pieces of advice or nuggets of you know nugget of information that you would leave with any of the listeners this evening? I mean, I think just like any other dynasty league, the number one rule is to, to stay active, you know, both in terms of during the, the auction draft, because people are always willing to trade. Uh, you know, you have to know your rules of your league. You also have to know, you know, where our draft picks included, our rookies included, uh, those things. So, you know, as much activity as you can have and, and you know, just just try to use those assets, those players you want. Make sure you're not emotionally invested in them because any of them can turn into something even better for you if you just are open to the possibilities. Uh, and the only other thing I say is, you know, just like anything else, you don't want to upset your owners. You know, no reason to make fun of somebody's bid or anything like that because they could be a future trade partner. So, so you know, just be civil. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, could not agree more with that. Communication seems to be the common theme that we have across all of the all of our shows is that you, know, you do need to, to learn more about value, how the other owners value their particular players, and also how you can open up trades. Communication and being active seems to be the common theme throughout all of it. So, again, before we get out of here, Adam, do you have anything else for the folks tonight? Yeah, George just reminded me that I just wanted to mention a compliment. It goes a, a long way in a dynasty league and um, it's something I've been working really hard on since I've started dynasty. It just, if there's compliments to be had, give them, but calling someone stupid did nothing but eliminate your trade partner for the future. And they're never ever going to want to trade for you, let alone talk to you. So I've been active about that on Twitter recently. And it's just been a pet peeve of mine. If you've got a compliment to give someone got a good value, don't be mad about the value. Just let them know like, Hey man, that was a really good, good value on that pick. And then maybe you go purchase that player later. But, um, for Dynasty Owners Manual News, uh, we've got the T-shirts coming in. We've got the contest going. If you can predict where Dez is going and go ahead and retweet that, uh, you're in the, the running for a free shirt. We ended up picking black. Uh, you can check out our YouTube channel at Dynasty Pregame, where we'll have all the shows live. Uh, you can also check us out on iTunes and Stitcher, Dynasty Owners Manual. Please rate review subscribe and then also our twitter handle at dynasty manual and then i'm at dhh underscore adam and uh thank you for listening to episode 17 absolutely and george where can they find you at on twitter or any other uh ramblings and whatnot or writing work and whatever yeah ramblings is a good way to put it uh (laughs) yeah on twitter you can find me at rotohack uh, I, I figured the name was appropriate for for my level of knowledge, and uh, and and I'm on the Player Raider podcast, DLF's Player Raider podcast with Ryan McDowell. Uh, great podcast uh, for for people who want to listen. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And this podcast here, absolutely, yeah. And hopefully we can have you back at some point. So again, I'm Chris Allen, your host. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. And we thank you guys for coming and listening to us tonight. And we'll catch you guys next week. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain praying for the fantasy championship hit the books kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's